You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. interesting point that I found is that Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord, and yet the Lord used him mightily. He brought prosperity to the land, and he delivered the land from a lot of their enemies. So the Lord was continuing using these kings in spite of themselves. That should tell you a lot about our God. It should tell you a lot about our Lord, how he uses these kings to do wonderful things in spite of them in spite. Do you ever feel like there's just no way God wants you back after you've made a bad decision? Do you believe that there is a limit to His love, His grace, and His mercy? The amazing good news is there has never been and there will never be an end to His love. Today, Pastor Dave reminds us of just how much God loves us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapters 14 through 15 as he begins his message, The Rise of Jeroboam II. At the time, he was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And although he did right in the sight of the Lord, we said that he had a half-hearted commitment to the Lord because he didn't follow the Lord completely. He followed in the footsteps of his father, Joash, and he failed to tear down the high places where they went to worship, where they went to sacrifice, and where they went to do burnt offerings. This was specifically a command of the Lord that they not have the high places. They were to worship in Jerusalem, which was where the temple was. And that was the place of worship where sacrifice was to be presented. We talked about the woman at the well who argued with Jesus, and she said, on that mountain, our fathers worship. You say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Remember Jesus' beautiful words to him. The time will come when you worship God in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amaziah did some good things. We talked about that. But he never measured up to the standard that God placed for kings. King David. He didn't measure up to that standard because that was the standard that God used when he judged the kings of Israel and when he judged the kings of Judah. Remember, we are in an extremely dark period in the history of the nation. A time when no king encouraged the people to repent and return to the Lord in the southern kingdom either. I mean, both kingdoms were basically walking away from God. And this would cost them dearly because they both would be carried off into captivity. It was a time of great bloodshed. Moral decay, rebellion against the Lord, great time. Reminds me a lot of the time of Judges, which was the same thing happened during that time. When the people turned from the commandments of God, they turned to other gods and they became idol worshipers, which was strictly against God's law. So as we continue now in chapter 14, the scene 
shifts once again from the southern kingdom back to the northern kingdom, and that's why you have... So let's read verses 23 and 24. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, remember, their names were constant. They had both names in, in all the parties and things. It was difficult to tell them apart. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. So here we have Jeroboam now is going to reign for 41 years. And this is a long time in the days of assassination. There was assassination after assassination, and this guy comes in, and he's going to reign for 41 years. However, he was not a good king when it came to spiritual matters. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, following after his great-grandfather, Jeroboam I, who made Israel sin by bringing golden calves into the kingdom, putting one in Samaria and one in Bethel. He brought the worship of Baal into the kingdom. And a lot of the things that Jeroboam too did were politically motivated. But the interesting thing in these two scriptures is the one phrase that said, who had made Israel sin. They brought sin in. Jeroboam, the original Jeroboam, brought these calves in, brought the worship of Baal in, and he forced the people basically into idol worship. This shows me just how important it is to be following the Lord if you're a leader. If you're leading a Bible study, if you're leading any type of a group or witnessing, you need to be following the Lord because you're going to be held accountable for what you lead people to. If you give them the wrong message and you lead them astray, woe be it to you if you made someone stumble. You don't ever want to make anyone stumble. So we see this happening here, and the kings constantly, constantly led Israel astray. They constantly, even when they did good things, they continued these bad things with letting them worship. We have to be ever so careful not to cause people to stumble because we will be held most accountable especially those who are teachers of the word. We're going to be held higher accountability, what it says in Scripture. But what's interesting is God always has people in place who will bring forth the word of God even when people are sinning. And during the reign of Jeroboam, listen to who was on the scene. Jonah, Hosea, Joel, Micah, Amos, and Isaiah. All these prophets were on the scene and were contemporaries of these kings at this time. And they were on the scene and they were constantly bringing forth the word of God to these nations, to these people, telling them, hey, you're going the wrong way. And if you continue going on that way, God is going to take you away and take you out. Which unfortunately, he did. Because they didn't turn back. They refused to turn back because of their stiff-necked hearts. They were rigid and stiff-necked, and they wouldn't yield to God's commands. Another interesting point that I found is that Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord, and yet the Lord used him mightily. He brought prosperity to the land, and he delivered the land from a lot of their enemies. So the Lord was continuing using these kings in spite of themselves. 
That should tell you a lot about our God. It should tell you a lot about our Lord. How he uses these kings to do wonderful things in spite of them. In spite. Let's look at 25 and 27. He, Jeroboam, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittal, the prophet who was from Gath, Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So, first of all, the nation's going astray. The nation's going the wrong way. God looks down upon the nation, and he's not real happy about it, but he loves these people. They're the apple of his eye. They're the ones he loves the most, and he just can't get enough of them. So, his great grace and his wonderful mercy continues to pour out upon these people. And even though Jeroboam is leading them the wrong way, God continues to use Jeroboam in a mighty way, and he sends in Jonah. Yes, they believe it is the same Jonah. They believe it is the same Jonah and Nineveh. That great story. They believe that this is he. This is he who came in. And it's interesting that the Lord continues to help his people and shine his love into their hearts even when they have forsaken him. Even in the midst of a rebellion, even in the midst of their sin. And as I read this and as I, I looked at it and studied it and I sat before the Lord, I get a picture, and we've talked about this picture before, and it's so poignant. It's so beautiful. In the Gospel of Luke, he tells the glorious story of the prodigal son. Now, the prodigal son wanted all the, all the inheritance, and he wanted it now. And the father gave him all the inheritance, and he went away. And he went and he squandered the inheritance and just really blew it on all kinds of horrible things. But the one scripture that touches my heart, that really shows me what our God is like, is I picture this father on that porch every single day that the son was gone, looking for the son, waiting for him to return, waiting for him to come back. That's our God. That is our God when you go astray. When you go astray, when you're out there doing something that you know is wrong and you're far from God, he's right on that front porch looking for you, waiting for you to return, even maybe calling your name. Come back. Come back to me. He's looking and waiting. And you know what the scripture says? The, the prodigal son said, you know what? I got tired of wallowing with pigs, you know what I mean? I can go home, and at least if I'm a servant, I'll still get fed. And he begins to come home. The father sees him from afar off. And what does the father do? Stand there? No. The father runs to the guy. He runs. Men in this age didn't run. It was unholy to run. And plus, when they ran, they had to lift up their robes and gird themselves and then run around one around. The scripture says he ran to the kid. He ran to the kid and lavished him with kisses and put the royal robe on him and the royal ring and killed the fatted calf. Don't you get a beautiful picture of our father? Don't you get a glorious picture of our father in heaven who's looking at you? And, and it, what's so cool about that? And what is so really neat about that, what touches my heart so much is that the father let him go. The father let him go. 
You want to go out and sin? Our God goes, go ahead. When you get done wallowing with the pigs, I'll be here. And he graciously lets you go. And he might even protect you in the midst of your sin. He might even let you do certain things. And he, but he's always there. And I just get this picture that breaks my heart of him on the porch going, where are you? I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to return. Please come back. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I know you're going to come back. When are you going to come back? I'm waiting. And oh, how happy he is when he sees you return to him. When he sees you turn. When you make that one turn. And that's a hard turn to make sometimes. When you're in the midst of doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, when you're out of fellowship, it's tough to walk through those doors, folks. It's tough to walk through those doors because you think as soon as you walk through the doors, everybody's judging me. Everybody's like, where you been? What's going on? I hope you don't feel that way here, folks, because you walk in those doors, you've been a while, while. we want to hug you. We want to tell you, welcome back. He is so long-suffering with us. And I get a beautiful picture of him, and, and, and it's just a glorious picture when we see that. You can never go too far when you're out of his sight. He always sees you. He always knows what you're doing, and he's always there when you turn. That's all repentance is, is turning. Turning from your sin to the Lord. Turning from your sin to the Lord. And you know what? You may be out here doing something. You may be out here go whatever it is. But when that strikes your heart, when the Spirit really rips your heart and says it's time to come back and you turn, he is right there. Arms open wide. And what does the Scripture say? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You turn around and you come back into his arms. He's not sitting there going, where you been? You should have done this, and that, and that. No. He's killing the fatted calf. He's putting a royal robe on you. And he's kissing you in your face and telling you just how much he loves you. Just how much he loves you. He is a good, good father. And he wants nothing but the best for you. And he's waiting. Look how long he suffered with the nation. His nation. His chosen people. His nation. Look how long he suffered with them. But every single time, read your scriptures, folks, every single time they repented and came back, he loved on them like never before. And even in the midst of their crazy wickedness, he still provided for them. Still provided for them. Look at 28 and 29. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war and how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus to Hamath, what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers and the kings of Israel. Then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. Jeroboam was indeed a wicked king, yet the Lord used him mightily. He reigned for a long time, a time when assassinations were the norm. He reigned in this for 41 years, and during those 41 years, Israel prospered economically, politically, and materially. Archaeology confirms the economic might of Jeroboam when they find relics and things in the cities that were about the same size. They look at that and they say, yes, this is from them. And they have it all cut out, how he was very, very good. God's judgment does come upon them. You can read about that in Amos, the prophet who was alive during then. In Amos 3, 13 and 15, talks about the judgment of the Lord coming upon these cities. Though the hand of the Lord was behind these events, God used the strength of the Assyrian Empire to bless Israel. For most of its history, the northern kingdom of Israel struggled against Syria. 
They're still struggling against Syria today. But around the year 800, the mighty Assyrian Empire defeated Syria and neutralized this power that hindered Israel's expansion and prosperity. With Syria in check, Israel enjoyed a great prosperity during the reign of Jeroboam II. Yet, it wasn't because he was great. It wasn't because Jeroboam was a good king, even though he was kind of a good king. It was because of God's grace and God's mercy. Give God the credit for them, the blessing that they received. It was because of God. God did the work. Jeroboam. Sometimes we read these stories and it becomes confusing to us because it never says that Jeroboam loved the Lord. We see someone who was powerful and prosperous and it seems that get all the breaks why we who love the Lord go through nothing but trial after trial after trial. You ever notice that? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you haven't, maybe you have. It seems like, wait a minute. We see the rich getting richer at the expense of the poor. They exploit the poor, they abuse the poor, but they keep on prospering and they keep on doing well. It seems that good has become evil and evil has become good. The psalmist David and Asaph Understood that. They understood that. In Psalm 37, beautiful picture here of what we're talking about. You don't have to turn there, I will. You want to, it's Psalm 37. The Psalm of David. We're only going to read the first two verses. Psalm 37 says, begins, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. In other words, don't be envious of them. Don't worry about them because they will get theirs. The Lord is not slack in his promises, you know. But sometimes we see that and it looks like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And basically the same type of thing happens in Psalm 73. In Psalm 73... This is a psalm of Asaph, reading verses 1 to 3. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such are as pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost stumbled. My steps are nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Then down to 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Look at 18. Surely you set them in a slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. And in 23 and 24. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by your right, my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. So here you have the psalmist. Both are saying the wicked we're going to have with us. They're going to be there. We can't be envious because it seems like everything's going right for them. And those of us who serve the Lord are getting pounded. We can't be envious of them. What's the saying? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than the richest man in the world. They will get theirs. They will get theirs. Remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler wanted to know what the best commandment was. He said, well, you know your commandments. And he says, yeah, I don't commit murder. I don't pick a dollar. I don't steal. He said, you've done well. One thing you lack, go and sell all your belongings and give to the poor. And he went away. He went away. Very sad because he was very, very wealthy. 
Don't fret because of evildoers. It's a common thing for the righteous to fret and be envious of the wicked. Why do the wicked experience such prosperity? We don't want that. But yet, we have God. And I always like to say, for, the, for us, this is the worst it gets. For them, this is the best it gets. Never saw a U-Haul at a funeral parlor. Never saw one. The book of Amos shows that Israel didn't handle this prosperity very well. And the wickedness under the prosperity of Jeroboam too heaped up judgment for themselves. Prosperity can be a cruel thing. Prosperity can be a real cruel thing. Everybody wants to prosper. Everybody wants to have wealth. Everybody wants to be rich or everybody wants to have money. We work for it. We want it. We seek it. We get it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord pours out these blessings upon it, and all of a sudden, we forget the Lord. We walk away from him because all of a sudden, we have all this money. And we no longer on our face every day praying that he would provide for us, praying that he would give to us what we need, because now we have all the money that we need, and we're buying all these things, and we're not so serious about the Lord anymore. The Lord gave David all these things. The Lord gave David tremendous wealth, he gave David, and plus he gave David the fact that one of your descendants will sit on this throne forever. What was David's response? Who am I? Who am I that you would do this for me? Who am I that you would allow this in my heart? Notice the difference in the heart. Who am I? We have to be careful. We have to be very careful. Prosperity can destroy you in a heartbeat. I'm not saying it's wrong to be prosperous. I'm not saying that. The Lord has blessed you with prosperity. Praise him. Thank him. Give him glory and honor for helping you in your time. But make sure you're constantly in contact with him. So Jeroboam dies, and Zechariah now takes his place. It was the fourth generation of the Jehu dynasty. Remember in 2 Kings 10.30, it was prophesied that the dynasty of Jehu would continue for four generations. Well, here it is. We have the Zechariah coming in. But then when we get to chapter 15, we jump back to the southern kingdom again. We see a man named King Azariah or Uzziah. Which is it? Is it Azariah or Uzziah? Let's read verses 1 through 4. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So here is another half-hearted, committed king to the Lord. He's only meeting the Lord halfway. You are this has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. 
Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We encourage you to keep looking to Scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it, you'll be able to find them on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope. Oh